Please be aware this episode contains descriptions of violence towards children. Hello everyone and welcome to a multi-part Borders Blatherings where Mary and I shine a light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish Borderlands. Mary, the year is 1871. 1871. Britain is riding high on the riches of empire. The Great Exhibition has already showcased Britain to the world and soon the Queen, Victoria, is to become Empress of India, that jewel in our crown. Hmm. Technological, scientific and industrial innovations have driven a global expansion and Britain's status as the most powerful empire in the world, it's complete. The rich are living the Victorian dream. And yet, here, in this very village of Stow, where we live, gruesome events will take place that cast a dark shadow over this golden age. This is Murder in Style. Dear husband, I write you a loving farewell and my children. Give my kind love to mother, sister and all inquiring friends. Be good to the bairns. I hope you will forgive me as God will forgive me. Cursed White has done all this. She swore I had taken Siller, which was false, but they wrong everybody. I have nothing to live for. I have no friends in this world. Mary, that's the wording of a suicide note used in evidence at the trial of Eliza Clafton, née Sinclair. Now, you in particular have been busying yourself in the archives, yeah? I have, yes. And you have unearthed a wealth of source material that we'll be picking over as we move this story along. The case of Eliza Clafton, in a sense, it's not a traditional whodunit. But as we've delved deeper into various sources, including trial records, newspaper reports, medical testimony, etc., it's become clear that many questions remain unanswered. Perhaps, Mary, you could begin with a wee bit of background and outline the key events in this horrific story. What is it we actually know about the unfortunate Eliza Clafton, who, in June, was it June of 1871? She appeared at the High Court in Edinburgh, where she was charged with having murdered her two children. So what is it we know about Eliza? Yes, um... We, I first came across this in our local archives with mm. a newspaper report and I was shocked because I've lived here for a while now and I hadn't heard of anybody talking about it. I don't think anybody knows that it had happened. Really so so yeah. that's why my sort of interest was piqued. And then I went scuttling up to the archives in Edinburgh uh, to look at the trial records and census records and things like that and found out a little bit about Anne Eliza. So... We start off in 1845 in Weems in Fife, and that's where she's born. 
Oh, she's not a border She's then. not a border yeah, lassie. Okay. No, she's from Fife. Her mother's Betsy, who was born in Ireland. Mm-hmm. She had an older brother, Samuel, and an older sister, Janet. Now, the father doesn't appear to be present at this time, but we know he's alive because Betsy is listed as a wife, not a widow. But where the father is, we don't know. Possibly he's in Ireland. We're not quite sure because, of course, it's 1845. Mm. It's the height of the famine. There's a lot going on in Ireland. There's a lot going on in Ireland. Yeah. So anyway, that's Eliza. And her mother's a mill worker. So she's not um, a very uh, sort of skilled expert weaver or anything like that. She's just listed as a a mill worker. So, so far, so ordinary. And they're there for for a good deal of time. And they sort of move about a few different mills or whatever. But that's their life in Fife. Very ordinary. And there are mills and stows, so that may explain why they, she pitches up here. Then. It could do, it yeah. could do, yes. The next note we have of Eliza is in 1866, and she's living in Selkirk. Oh, nearby, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very nearby, and she's getting married. And she marries a chap called Samuel Clafton. Now, Eliza is listed as being 19 years old at this point, mm. and Samuel's 26. He's a journeyman mill worker, and Eliza's a mill worker. And then within a year, they move to Stow. And in 1867, their little boy Daniel's born. And then in 1870, oh sorry, between those times, Eliza has a bit of a hard time with Daniel's uh, birth. Mm -hmm. And within a sort of year, a couple of years, she ends up in the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary, which is an interesting note, having some sort of operation. Uh They think there might have been some sort of problem, a bladder problem, a urinary problem, post the home birth, as it was, obviously. Hold so, on, they're journeyman mill workers. Yes. There's no NHS. No. And yet, they can afford <laughs> medical treatment. Yes, you see, you're starting to pick up on a lot of these questions we're going to have to chase. Yes, uh-huh. indeed. So, yes, so she has one uh, operation, and she's due to have a second operation, but she actually refuses um, the doctor talks about her being intractable, but that's the medical profession for you Ooh. in those days of Victorian times. So then in uh, 1870, their little girl Isabella is born. Mm. So in 1871, um, Samuel is working in the mill at Mill Bank, which is in Killochiet, the little hamlet just in the north of Stow. So he's not in the big Stow mill, he's in the smaller mill. And Eliza's taking care of the two children. She's doing bits and bobs of washing for some of the neighbours. Uh-huh. Um, she's got this urinary problem, which I know that might not sound like a big deal, but it is in Victorian times uh-huh. because, of course, you have to go to the bottom of the garden to use the privy and there might be a bit of a smell and she might not have very many clothes. So she tends to keep herself to herself. It's all godliness and cleanliness. Mm, yes, yeah. there's a bit of that going on. Yeah, And uh, we've also discovered that Eliza is... Certainly very hard of hearing because, of course, she's worked in the mills and the looms in the mills were incredibly noisy. Mm-hmm. So that's a wee bit of an isolation. We also know from their marriage certificate that they were both Episcopalians. So again, that's making them a little bit different. They're not Kirk of Scotland. Uh-huh. So right. all of these things are added together. Um, so she's about 26 at this point. She's got her two kids, and she goes in and out of a local shop owned by the Whites, which is just along the, lo- the road from them, Mr and Mrs White, and their daughter, Christine, known as Kirsty, who's about 15 at this point, she serves in the shop. And this is at the far end of the village as I know it today. It is, yeah, yes, yeah, along at that end yeah. of the village. So so that's fine, and they're living away. And 
An incident occurs in Mar- on March the 6th when Eliza goes into the shop with Isabella. She's still breastfeeding her little girl, who's about 11 months at this point. She goes into the shop and she buys a loaf of bread, but she doesn't have the money to pay for it. And she asks to sort of put it on the book. And uh, Kirsty says that's absolutely fine because this has happened before and she's that known to pay her price. bills. Yeah. You know, yeah. she pays her bills at the end of the week when her husband gets paid. Yeah. That's fine. She leaves the shop. And then later on, she comes back to the shop and Kirsty finds her in the shop behind the counter with a bit of soap sort of wrapped up in her, in her apron, which is a bit odd. And there's a wee bit of a confrontation between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the till may or may not have been open and there was a bit of a kerfuffle over some tea or something and, and Kirsty's getting a bit upset and Kirsty's mother, Mrs White Senior, comes down and says a strange thing to Eliza. She said, Eliza, there must be a stop put to this. So it's a strange to phrase to what? To the yes. tick or to the stealing? Mm, we're not quite sure. We don't know, yeah. So that's fine. So Eliza gets quite upset at this and starts tearing at her dress and saying, ripe me, ripe me, which means rip me, rip me or stab me. Very odd expression to use, runs out the shop. So then Mrs. White goes upstairs and speaks to her husband, who goes along to the mill uh, to meet Samuel and to tell Samuel what's happened in the shop. And they sort of walk up and down outside Samuel's house whilst discussing what's going on. And then Samuel goes home and the alarm is raised. Goes into his house and it's a horrific scene. The little girl, Isabella, is lying dead on the floor. The little boy is sitting with his head on one side. Eliza has slashed her own throat. She's written a suicide note. Strangely enough, she's taken her dress off. Again, a point we might pick up on later. So the alarm is raised, the police turn up, and the doctors turn up. They send for a doctor down in Gala Shields, strangely enough, not because for the local, no local doctor. doctor. Well, there is. Dr. Middleton stays just five minutes' walk down the road. Interesting. Um, now, we don't know, possibly he was away seeing a patient in one of the farms, but nobody seems to have gone for him. They seem to have sent for the doctor in Gala Shields, first of all, which is an odd one, again. There's a lot of little oddities in this case. So the doctor comes in, um, the, a neighbour takes Eliza and sort of puts her to bed, as it were. Right. The police are keeping an eye on her. They've scooped up the uh, suicide note and the doctor's desperately trying to save the wee boy's life. Sadly, overnight the wee boy dies and he dies the next morning. Eliza is arrested and taken up to Edinburgh Prison to await trial for their murder. And that is sort of... Her basic tale, the basic story we have to tell. So, they found a suicide note. Yes. I know of this from the trial records. Yes. Do they find the weapon that Eliza is supposed to have used? I can't find any note of it in the trial records. I have gone through all the precognition statements and I Mm. can't find the razor. Presumably, it was an ordinary Victorian cutthroat razor. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing I can see in any of the reports as to where it went. I can't find the police reports. They may just have gone lost along the way, you know, um, as it was a few years ago. But I can't find any note of somebody picking the razor up. So that's another one of these oddities, mm-hmm. as it were. So, so it's Mr. White, the shopkeeper, yes, who goes to the mill. 
Yes. To get uh, the husband. Yes, and tell and spend what's a happened. bit of time talking about. What yes, and again, happened. reading the different precognition statements, and I understand that witnesses are never exact. That's mm-hmm. the nature of human memory. They either spend about twenty minutes walking up and down, or it could have been a lot longer. So the timeline between her leaving the shop after the confrontation with Kirsty mm-hmm. and them discovering the children could be anything from 20 minutes to an hour and a half. It's a little odd. So they don't find the so-called murder weapon as far as you know? As far as I can read. They don't send the for the local, easily accessible doctor who lives over the street no. from, from, from the Claftons. Mm-mm. And the father shopkeeper spends a lot of time with the husband. Yes. You can see where I'm going with this. Yes, there are lots of little oddities. The police sergeant, uh, PC Milne, comes in mm-hmm. and then he wants to send for the other police officer, which is fair enough. But instead of saying to one of the neighbours, can you go and find PC Plod or whatever his name yeah, was, yeah. Um, you know, he's at number 27 doing something <coughs> or something like that. He says to the neighbour, you watch Eliza, I'm going to go and get my colleague. And I don't understand that. That's the dereliction of duty, in my opinion. Yes, why would you leave? Why would you, do that? why would you leave the prisoner? And you know, why, why not just send somebody to go and get my colleague? Yeah, it's a really odd one. Um, one point of curiosity is that we come across Alfred John List again. Do you remember when we did our Navi Riot yeah, uh, yeah. podcast, and he was the superintendent? Well, he's the superintendent. He's the superintendent. Well. Oh, yes. Cause and effect, yeah, yeah. However, there was a lot of um, political agitation going on in Edinburgh at the time. Uh-huh. And because this appeared to be such an obvious case, um, Mr. List was not heavily involved. It was the local police that were involved. Mm-hmm. So as I say, Eliza scooped up and sent off to Edinburgh Prison to await trial. And she waits from March until June. But in the meantime, there's all sorts of newspapers coming out with stories and theories and, of course, because, you know, it's a big murder and people are talking. Yeah. And this is when another curiosity comes along because we find a story in the Kelso Chronicle uh-huh. about, you know, this horrific event and they talk about Samuel Clafton, known as John Smith. And Ooh. I don't know why he was known as John Smith. I can understand you not liking your first name of Samuel and wanting to have the name John, but why would you change Clafton to Smith, because Smith is such an anonymous name. <laughs> it's a very odd alias, John It's a very Smith. odd alias, because Clafton is quite yeah. an unusual yeah. name. Now, Samuel was actually from England, and Clafton appears to be a sort of Northumberland name, and he may well have come up to the borders for work as a weaver, obviously. Yeah. But having that alias, it's just a little bit odd. It is, yeah. yeah. So that's an odd one. What also, when you were talking earlier, what also struck me as a little bit odd is why move from Selkirk, which is replete with mills in those days, to Stow? Yes, that's a very which unusual one. Which has one and a bit mills. It has two mills, one large, one very small, and they move to the smaller mill. And neither is a, a, is, is a specialist. They're, they're journeyman yes. uh, mill yes. workers. Yes, That's now, very interesting. Samuel's a perfectly good worker because he worked at that mill for five years. Yeah. So it's not as if he's a bad worker. And the boss in the Selkirk mill had chucked him out mm-hmm. and he got a bad re- reputation through the town and c- couldn't get work there. That's odd. And it's not as if he's a political agitator because, again, political agitators tended to get chucked out of mills. Absolutely. But that reputation would follow you. 
so there must be another reason for them having moved. It is curious that that Eliza goes from Fife to the borders mm. in the first place, because if you're if you've got no work in in West Weems in Fife, you go to Leslie or you go to Kirkcaldy or you go to Dunfermline, there are a hundred and one mills for you to go to before you go all the way down to Selkirk. So that's a little bit of an oddity. Yeah. Unless, of course, her father had reappeared with work in the borders and the family moved down to be with him, but we don't know. I can't find him. So I don't know why Eliza pitches up in Selkirk and I don't know why John Clafton has pitched up in Selkirk either, but I certainly can't understand why they would move from Selkirk to Stout, because mm. even if you'd fallen out with every single mill worker in Selkirk, you're going to go to Gala, or you're going to go to Hoyk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. would you go to... I mean, if you were a specialist worker, then maybe one of the Stout mills was looking for a specialist, but he's not. So that's another oddity. You know, mm. every time we think we know about this case, there's another little oddity it, 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 appears. Yeah, yeah. We've touched on the trial uh, very briefly, but is there anything in the archives to suggest that Eliza herself is on the run and trying to escape from 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 any negative situation. Well, the only thing I suppose would be the comment of Mrs. White when she says to her, a uh-huh. stop must be put to this. So is Eliza, has she taken to pinching things out of shops? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the fact that she's found stealing soap is this urine problem that there might be with a smell. She, she's not very rich, so she's not going to have many changes of clothing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, she's known to buy things on tick, as it were, but for her husband to pay at the end of the month. When he's paid, yeah. Whenever he's yeah. paid. So I can't think that she's been stealing out of shops in Selkirk, and they thought, well, in a smaller town, there are fewer opportunities and perhaps she would be more embarrassed and so it would stop. I don't mm. know. Yeah. Um, that's the only odd thing. So I don't know if they moved from Selkirk to Stow because of her or because of him. I'm not quite sure. But he's trading under an alias. Yes, but it's not much of an alias if the Kelso Chronicle's <laughs> yeah, writing yeah. about it, unless yeah. somebody's just done yeah. some digging into yeah. the background or the fact that the name is Clafton... Maybe somebody back in the Selkirk Mill said, oh, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. He occasionally called himself John Smith. But again, why would you do that unless you had something to hide? Indeed. Indeed. Smith is such an anonymous English name. It's an odd one. Mm-hmm. But we know actually very little about Samuel. I know he was from England. I can't find a birth certificate for him. Um, his age changes <laughs> Um, the age that he claims on the marriage certificate and the age that he claims in the 1871 census don't tally and they're out by about six years. Now, I know human vanity is human vanity and we can all make ourselves a little (laughs) bit younger when we want to, but making yourself a little bit younger and having an alias name, I'm not sure I'm awfully fond of Samuel at the moment. So I'm I'm maybe being a bit mean and prejudging Samuel, but there's... Yeah. But do we not, sorry, but do we not know a lot more about him from the testimony he gives at Eliza's trial? He doesn't give any testimony. He doesn't? No, he is called neither by the prosecution nor the defence. No, that is interesting. Now, the trial is interesting because the prosecution case is that she is of sound mind and she's a wicked, evil woman Mm -hmm. who has killed her children and attempted to kill herself. Therefore, she should be found guilty and hanged. 
The defence case is she is of unsound mind and therefore needs to be put into an asylum. Now, if Samuel could say, oh, my wife's as mad as a box of frogs, surely then yeah. he gives evidence for the defence. Or if he says, no, 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 she's completely mm. sane, he gives evidence for the prosecution. So one of the two sides would have called him. Uh-huh. I think he was not called because of this alias nonsense. Because if he says to the prosecution, oh, no, 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 she's absolutely fine, yeah. and they say, great, star witness, get him on the stand, and the defence say, uh, why have you got an alias? Why do you change your name? Why do you change your, your age? Either side can, can demonstrate can that he's an unsound witness. Yeah. 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 So, as yeah. I say, you know, it, it, it's a bit of an odd one because, mm-hmm. of course, basically the trial is centred around whether or not she was of sound or unsound mind. Uh-huh. And, of course, the other big, huge thing within the trial is why do you have a suicide note saying goodbye to your husband and children and then kill your children? That doesn't make any sense. Now, I know obviously people who attempt suicide are of unsound mind by its very nature. Yeah. But again, that just doesn't sound right. And we have to remember that suicide at that time was not illegal in Scotland. Suicide has never been illegal in Scotland. I know it was for a long time in England and Wales, but it's not in Scotland. Ah, It's not against the law to kill yourself or to attempt to kill yourself. You might well be thought of as unsound and sent to the asylum, but it's not a crime. But the murdering of the children obviously is. And the trial then just becomes a series of medical experts for the prosecution saying, nope, she's perfectly sane, she's perfectly normal, she could this and she could that and she could the next thing, but no, 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 she's absolutely fine. And the defence saying, no, she's definitely of unsound mind. No, I'm not a defence lawyer by any means. And I love the phrase, my wife is... Mad as a box of frogs, yeah. <laughs> which wouldn't stand up in court. Are the defence claiming temporary insanity or...? Yes, they're claiming that at the time the crime was committed, she was of unsound was mind. She was unsound mind. Um, they have uh, an old colleague of hers from way back in Fife mm. who said that, you know, she was a quiet woman, clean living woman, but if she ever got upset, it would affect her quite badly. She'd mm. become quite introverted. They managed to get a doctor to come along to say that the doctor seemed to be obsessed with lactation. Don't know why, but there we go. They say that if a woman is breastfeeding her child for a long time, this can cause mental excitation and it can cause depression and it can unbalance the mind. Now, the defence doctor doesn't say she's of unsound mind because he doesn't want to be that definite, but he's certainly... They get they they sort of push him as far as they can to say yes she could have been of unsound. So they're searching for medical reasons that yes. might suggest and get the jury pushed in that direction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The prosecution have half a dozen doctors who all pitch up and say, well, yes, lactation can cause an excitation and it would cause this and it would cause that, but no, she's absolutely fine. She's fine. They yeah. even have the surgeon from the Royal Infirmary who, for some reason, apparently, as well as being a surgeon, was also a psychiatrist, who said, oh, no, she's absolutely perfectly fine. This is the person she had visited before that you mentioned. Yes, yeah. 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 So, you know, you've got all that, literally doctor after doctor after doctor pitches up and says, yes, lactation can cause this, but no, she was not of an unsound mind. She was not of an unsound um, mind. So it's, it's a very curious one. 
as to, to why they're obsessed with lactation. When they then, you know, mm. if they were saying, yes, lactation can cause you to be of unsound mind, and she was of unsound mind, mm-hmm. that would make sense. But they go on and on about it causing an unsound mind, but she didn't have that. She was fine. She was of a sound mind. She's obviously just this evil, evil woman who has murdered her children and then attempted to murder herself. In terms of the, 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 Good doctors who appear for the prosecution does kleptomania raise its ugly head during the trial? Kleptomania is mentioned, and again, that's because of the excitation caused by breastfeeding your children for so long. Oh, wow. So they'll go as far as to say that it would cause her depression, mm-hmm. that it would cause her to be excitable, that it would cause her to steal things, that it might cause her to be morose. Or to have melancholia. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to murdering your children, no, she's just wicked. No, she's just wicked. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're not getting past that at all. And there's 15 men on the jury, obviously they're all men. And they have a prosecution case that is led by medical experts. Victorian gentlemen of learning. They've been to the university. These are doctors. And they've got a defence that's got one doctor, one doctor yeah. who's a yeah. bit, you know, soft in his in his um statements that he's giving and a couple of local weavers and it's quite interesting to see um just how little they're actually examined. Um, you know, because well they're weaving working class people, so we don't really want to hear what they've got to say. But of course the jewel in the prosecution crown is Kirsty White, who tells a tale about you know the, the the confrontation in the shop, and what's really interesting is Kirsty, I would say, makes as much of this as she can. Um, Are we talking a young a young girl? She's fifteen, uh-huh. and to be fair to Kirsty, this is probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened to her in her life. And well, she's got a family, star, yeah. you know, she's got family's <laughs> reputation, and it's the shop, and of course. She's got to go all the way up to Edinburgh to give the precognition statement. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can tell in the precognition statement that it's not her words. They say things like, now, if I was cursed, if I was a 15-year-old Victorian working-class girl working in my dad's shop, mm-hmm. I'd say something like, oh, I found her pinching some soap and she tried to hide it in her pinny. Mm-hmm. They have, she tried to conceal her ill-gotten gains in a fold of her apron. Yeah. That's not a 15-year-old speaking. When I read those trial records, <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, that's not a, a young girl speaking yeah, at all. Yeah, that's not, that's not what's going on there. Yeah. So, so there's a huge amount there in the trial to unpick as to what is said, what isn't said, what's there and what's yeah. not there. Yeah. And that's what's fascinating about this case, is the, what's not there. Yeah, the, 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 I'm thinking Sherlock Holmes there and the dog that didn't mark. Um, mm-hmm. the, when I was skimming through the, the trial records and Christy White's evidence, yeah. there's a dog appears in the, in, in the narrative. Yes. Uh, is the dog a red herring? I'm sorry for mixing my, <laughs> my animals up here, but. Well, I think it's so. not mentioned by anyone else. No, I mean, Kirsty's evidence is that she'd served Eliza in the shop. Yeah. And then she goes upstairs to do something with her mum and dad. Uh-huh. And then she, she's running some errands or something for her mum and dad. And she tells us all about the bell on the shop and the bell pings when somebody comes in the shop to let you know. Because the shop is, it's just one room downstairs and the family live above stairs in, yeah. in one room. So yeah. that's fine. And then she tells us all about the bell and sometimes the bell works and sometimes the bell doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So sometimes somebody can come in the shop and you don't know they're there. 
this has got nothing to do with anything. And then she says about, she comes in and she finds, finds Eliza behind the counter and Eliza says something about she was looking for the dog. But I can't remember whose dog it was. It doesn't really matter. But the dog is outside. Again, not relevant. And it's, I don't know if Kirsty is padding out her evidence to make it more exciting or because she's got more to say. There's almost a distraction from what actually happened. She talks about Eliza asks for some tea and then she gets her some tea, but there might be a packet of tea. And then there was another packet of tea and then something about the, the till was lying open. But she didn't know if any money had been taken out of it. And this bit about there was soap in the penny, but there might have been something else uh-huh. in the apron. Yeah. It's all a complete distraction. Rather than just saying, I came back in from running an errand from my mum and dad, noticed Eliza was behind the counter, said, what are you doing there? She came out. I realised she was trying to nick some soap. Then my mum comes downstairs yeah. and my mother said to her, a stop has to be put to this Eliza. And then she said, write me, write me, and pulled her dress. Mm-hmm. The dog's irrelevant. I'm sure he was a very nice dog, but he's got nothing to do with the case. Whether or not the bell pinged didn't really matter. If this was a case about theft, then the bell pinging or not pinging, or Eliza trying to get in the shop without the bell pinging, would be relevant. But the crime is not committed in the shop. Yeah. The crime is murder, which happens... In Eliza's that's, house. Yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting. And it's not just that, that Kirsty says all this in her precognition statement, which she's entitled to say anything. It's the fact that it's brought up in court again. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, well, what is the prosecution doing here? Why are they concentrating on all of this? You know, Eliza is caught stealing a piece of soap, is humiliated, embarrassed, shamed by this, mm-hmm. goes home and kills her children. That's the crime. Bells, dogs, whistles. Yeah. No, no, it's not yeah. relevant. So why the prosecution is is talking about all of this, I don't know. Uh, maybe if I remember, and I can't quite what I had said at the very beginning of our, our chat, this is not a straightforward who done it. There seems to be a lot of whys coming. Yes, even though maybe do, even a who. Even though we do know who done it, it's, yeah. it. So so much of it that doesn't ring true. And this is just the beginning of the Eliza story, is it? When we haven't even started picking apart exactly everything that appears to have happened yeah. or not happened yeah. on that night in March. So I don't know how many episodes this is going to go into <laughs> because we could be here for quite some time yeah, to find out the true story of Eliza and what happened yeah. that night. Yeah. Um, one thing I, that, I, that I think is important is we don't give away the verdict in the trial at this point. No, not at the moment. But I think the next time we meet up for a good old natter, blether, we need to start asking a lot of questions and picking apart. I think so, yes. What does actually happen yes. at the trial? Something doesn't seem right to me. There are too many variables going on here. There are too many questions there are too being many raised. Too many questions, yeah. And... For the sake of little Isabella and Daniel, yeah. I think we should dig further and see Let's if we can get find to the out of this. what really happened yeah. on that March night to those two children. Yeah.